rain is uh <clears throat> rain sounding pretty good right now I uh, love nights like this <clears throat> and I guess uh, <clears throat> and I guess rain is appropriate also for our second segment um, here it is entitled hi it's been three years for me without a drink thought I'd uh, do another memory piece like last week's about growing up in Aurora I am writing and recording this uh, this segment on May 15th and this is the exact day for my last for the last drink I had three years ago And let me double check something. Hi. It's been three years for me without a drink. Ha ha. Um, thought I'd do another memory piece here. I'm writing and recording this segment on May 15th. And this is uh, my exact day for the last drink I had three years ago. I uh, I have a few friends who are hardcore drinkers and quit, and uh, one a couple of them are older than me, and they like to hilariously dismiss the achievement. <laughs> one uh, will always be uh, nine years ahead of me, and so he will tell me that he's been dry for twelve years, and the uh, the other guy. Uh, another good friend uh, checked with his wife to confirm that it, it had been uh, 43 years for him so uh, all I can say to both of them is that I hope to catch up with both of them eventually but if you are me uh, or younger uh, the idea of three years which is 1,900 uh, 1,095 days without a drink or more specifically or more specifically, 156 weekends in a row, you might be interested in my personal alcohol story. And uh, so I'm going to tell you about it. I uh, don't mean this to be anything against alcohol. I, in fact, love alcohol. And I am learning to love my life without it on equal enthusiastic terms. For, uh, for example, um, a cup of coffee will send me through the night the same way half a bottle of bourbon would. It's uh, about re, uh, reconnecting certain enthusiasm things. But I will say that, or reconnecting certain uh, synapses, I guess. I will say uh, that alcohol allowed me decades of smashing my head to pieces. And this is very important. It's very important for many people to either explore their head or not. And uh, cracking it like Humpty Dumpty with a bunch of uh, alcohol can be great, especially during your 20s. So, uh as I said, um, alcohol allowed me decades of smashing my head to pieces, and that was very important. Um, I will say with some introspection that I did not like myself at the time, and I needed to have a lot of conversations with myself about this. Um, it took me a couple of years to actually realize that I didn't like myself very much. Alcohol helped with that. It's just a beautiful sound on the roof. I'm, uh... Sometimes I, you know, alcohol can also be an amazing friend. Sometimes I loved myself. <laughs> My love. Sometimes I loved a day, and I need to celebrate a success or a good idea. Sometimes my day was shit, and I needed to not think about it. Alcohol was there every time for all of it, in either direction. Half the time I thought this was introspection. If I had a problem to solve, a notebook, a pen, and a lot of bourbon would solve it. I craved the opportunity to wake up the next day and read my report. I used to write myself contracts that I would sign to either uh, avoid a friendship that was becoming poisonous or 
identify a habit of mine that was becoming excessive or um, uh, unhelpful to me. And I would just scribble out these agreements with myself and sign them. <laughs> this is the this is the kind of the the mad logic that you can get committing. Uh, I drank for about twenty five years, and uh, this is the kind of mad logic that you can commit to with this. I have a couple of contracts, and I've held the most of them. You know, so that was definitely a positive. It was uh, beer, bourbon, pot, in that order. And then pot, beer, pot, beer, pot, looping that way till dawn. Love drinking beer uh, with pot. Bourbon, of course, is way too uh, sharp with uh, once you're high. Uh, you need to water it down. But I would love, but um, but I could not get, I could not get drunk with beer by itself. Uh, first drink always had to be bourbon. You know, I would drink like six beer. If I didn't have any bourbon and I only had beer, I, you know, I would drink a six pack of beer and I would never get anywhere. Uh, bourbon was uh, a kind of launching pad for me. One sip and I'd just be in, you know, it was like a potion. Uh, one sip and I'd be there. I literally would feel my, my head relax and fly off and everything was better I can say uh, I loved the next morning I have very few um, hangover memories um, and although I certainly did poison myself a ton of times enough to have a bad hangover my body would usually just sort of become tired and uh, occasionally I would get a really terrible headache that's actually when I drank more beer than bourbon and uh, but mostly uh bourbon and uh sorry to be ruminating on the actual specifics of what i drank but bourbon and club soda which i called bourbon sodas um pretty clever name kept me uh nice and drunk and relatively free from uh from a terrible day following and uh so during that groggy day food never tasted better food was really good and my drinking habit was uh, very similar to other people's gym habit. I knew how not to pull a muscle after a while. I knew how to keep pace. It was a non-destructive, very high-functioning alcoholism, and I loved drinking. And I got drunk very often. <laughs> I got very drunk every time I drank. Uh, if I calibrated in a, in a good lack of sleep with this, like getting to bed at 5 a.m., the weekend would be like a waterbed to me. I suffer from anxiety, still do. Um, I think uh, anxiety is better than depression in that it's, uh, you know, um, active. But it can be more painful than depression in that, you know, it's just uh, synaptic, you know. Um, there's sort of, there apparently with uh, anxiety studying, uh, there is uh, two states of the brain, one to the far end is a coma the other is epilepsy and people um, vacillate between coma and epilepsy on terms of uh, their neurological scale and so the more anxious you are the more epileptic uh, your brain can be my brain rarely comas but alcohol could give my brain a coma you know uh, For many years, you know, uh, the only days I didn't feel emotional and mental pain would come from a drink. So uh, I thank alcohol for this. I have no problem with, uh, I would, you know, I, I would probably encourage uh, anybody to drink to deal with this, you know, but be advised going into that, that eventually you're going to have to stop drinking, if that's why, because it feels amazing to not have people hurt you to not have interactions with others feel painful to not say something and be so embarrassed or grief strict that you said the wrong thing or whatever that you need that the, that a drink can shut it off that's where people talk about alcohol dependency i mean sure you know you can have a uh 
physical dependency, you know, DT kind of stuff or organ failure. But that takes a lot of lot of work. You have to really push on that. I mean, in multiple decades of drinking or uh, I guess one one day as a member of Motorhead would do that. But for the most part, alcohol can be a pretty stable addiction. I think that's why it's uh, the most popular thing in the world. Um, for, you know, uh, the, you know, can you, you know, and no party without a drink, right? So I have uh, many stories about drinking and the events that followed. In fact, it would be impossible for any of those moments to have happened without, without alcohol. And you'll hear a couple of those in future episodes. In future episodes. Yeah, the, uh, the rain is just so nice. Sorry about how long this is. But I'd like to talk about all of it. You know. Um, you can, uh, I'll try and make it interesting with a bit of music. I was a good drinker. And when I had to quit, no one was happy. That's a funny thing. You know, people talk about 12-step programs. By the way, I do not... I did not go through one. I quit cold turkey, and the reason being is I woke up with my throat broken. I'll tell you about that. But uh, there's these stories where you have to go and recount to everybody that that you're an asshole to and apologize. And they tell you about the lives you ruined or the people that you let down. And I can tell you... I never really let people down, you know, if anything, I, when I was drunk, I cared about you more, you know, uh, my most, uh, aggressive habit was just talking over you. <laughs> Everyone was told by me that I loved them when I was drunk. I love you, man, to everybody, you know, uh, man or woman. So these stories about being an asshole and coming to terms with your damage, is something that I never really had to do, you know, I mean, obviously, uh, relationships get very tricky with alcohol, um, my wife does not drink, and I thank her for that, because every girlfriend I had before her drank, and that's what we did, we would hang out, and we would drink together, and my gosh, I have had so, uh, so many, many good experiences with women just getting drunk, and it was, you know, it was impossible once I stopped drinking to learn how to have fun with anything. And to the point where I couldn't even, for about a year or two, I couldn't even think about a vacation because why would I go anywhere? I can't get a drink when I'm there. But my wife does not drink and I thank her again for that. And unfortunately, uh, yeah, sometimes um, with that being... Uh, the difference between us a couple times I would just sort of get really emotionally upset around her and she wouldn't understand that it was just sort of like the the course of the night and so that would be the only kind of apology I have is that there were a couple nights where I was just like overly emotional and uh, we got into an argument or two but I don't know if like you know alcohol had anything to do with that um, that is uh the smallest of apologies, but that's all I can really mine up. Never really got into a fist uh, fist fight with anybody. Never, uh, you know, I got thrown out of a bar once and woke up with my wrists uh, hurting from catching the ground. That was funny, though. (laughs) I remember the reason why I got thrown out of the bar. And my sober self was envious of myself for uh, the, the reason. But I won't go into that alcohol was courage you know uh but to my wife uh, no one likes a drunk who is upset and i'm sorry for those arguments i'm glad that you know um for when they happened i'm glad that they no longer do i was never upset with her but tell that to somebody when you got a drunk guy right there who's just upset you know so i guess near the end of it I was becoming weird. Maybe I uh, ended drinking right at that point. You know, I jumped off the board right before it went over the... I jumped out of the car right before uh went over the cliff. 
But man, if I still don't fantasize about drinking, reminisce about drinking, dream about drinking, you know, no drug matched alcohol and no drug still matches alcohol. Every drug went with alcohol. Um, other drugs make you sharp or up and other ones make you high or attuned. But a good drink was like paint thinner on my head. It's funny to do to do things uh, now without alcohol, like uh, taking acid. I remember, you know, when I would drink, uh, when I would take acid, normally I would drink like uh, 15 beers through the night because alcohol actually doesn't get you drunk when you're uh, tripping. But it's a nice thing to do, you know. You, uh, it's good to sort of mellow out the anxiety of a of a trip. So I remember for many years saying like, yeah, I can't trip because it just like, I feel like shit for two days or something. And um, <laughs> I've had acid since I've stopped drinking. I realized it's actually the 15 beers. Uh, acid doesn't really, you know, you may, might need like a wheatgrass shot and a, a, a Bic pen to write a poem the uh, morning after acid. But it really doesn't hit you like the 15 beers. So that was an interesting thing. But if you've gotten this far into the recording, the question might be like, okay, so uh, so how did you stop drinking or why? And the short version of this is that I woke up one morning with a huge hunger for a hamburger. And I went and I bought one and chewed the first bite. And I will never forget this. All of a sudden I realized that the food hadn't moved. And... It felt identical to choking, and I only had one good swallow in me, apparently, too, to sort of like throw that food back into my throat. My tongue stopped working. Uh, my throat felt paralyzed, or the part of your body that makes a swallow felt paralyzed. And I was driving at the time, because how often do you buy a hamburger and then eat it on the way home? Take a bite of it. I was driving at the time and had to carefully move to the side of the road to evaluate my urgent moment. Uh, the blinkers on my car were going and I, had to, and I thought I was about to choke to death. So I sat there with my blinkers on and I tried very calmly to assess my issue. It was then that I noticed that I was breathing through my nose. It felt like there was a bite of hamburger right at the top of my throat, exactly near my windpipe. But very calmly, I realized that I was that I realized that I realized that I was breathing through my nose. That's a funny thing about being an anxious person, by the way. At least for me, when things are actually a panic, or if like I'm around somebody threatening. Or somebody's flipping out I am cool as it gets because I've got a lot of electricity going through my head constantly so high uh, impulse moments or you know high whatever you want to call them moments I have a lot of calm it's a lull that flips me out you know but in this instance thinking that I had some food right by my windpipe or maybe in my windpipe. I couldn't figure it out. Like, am I going to need to, like, give myself a Heimlich maneuver? I've, I've, I've done that before. And it's funny. You can kind of throw yourself into a table. Um, and I think you can also break your ribs pretty easily doing it. But you can successfully, you know, shove yourself into a table corner to give yourself a Heimlich. And I was wondering if I might need to do that or if I should just push through and drive and get back you know and go home and uh, where other people would be that could help me so I carefully put the car back in gear and slowly drove home wondering if I had a bullet in my throat <laughs> you know like a gun held up to my throat a ghost or something and any bump I feared would send the uh, bullet or the hamburger into my lungs, killing me. So this was quite a moment. Uh, I would uh, learn later that this was my esophagus, and in fact the food was probably nowhere near my trachea or my windpipe, 
in fact this is a weird bad design with uh with the esophagus and how it works with nerves very bad design of the human body anywhere your esophagus has an irritation you're going to just feel it in the middle on the top or in the bottom of the esophagus so three kind of sensor spots um, so what was really happening is the food was safely on its way to my stomach, but the nerves in my esophagus wanted me to think it was right on the tip of my throat about to drop into my airway. In this way, I guess the esophagus is its own kind of prankster because that is a very good joke on the esoph on my esophagus, my esophagus's part, and I completely fell for it. This was, uh, the day after Mother's Day 2017. Mother's Day, I think, was uh, May uh, May 14th. This was May 15th, Monday. I had the day off. And in the garage, the food, I parked in the, in the garage. Uh, Texas doesn't have basements, but we do have garages. So that's a nice luxury. And in the garage, the food finally moved just enough into my chest that I that I safely felt I could breathe and then for around 20 minutes it found its way into my stomach it was as if a vital functioning piece of my body had just broken like uh, the esophagus is a drive belt and it felt like it just had snapped it was a very scary moment probably uh, you know I've had some scary moments in my life and this one was just the most abstract and scary moment. Thought I was going to die. Thought I was dying. Didn't understand. I also thought that I, you know, my throat didn't work. It felt like my throat had broken. So it felt like my throat had broken. Broke throat, actually, uh, has a humorous rhyme to it broke throat the broken throat it's a better place to go party in uh, Austin than the broken spoke and it felt like my throat had just snapped I'm a creative thinker and I, uh, much more than I am a reasonable thinker and thought it was all neurological this is a problem with the uh, me is that sometimes I can think I'm feeling something or, or if I were to think about it enough I can't do something like I could probably outthink the ability to walk if I wanted to and sometimes my subconscious does some shit to me so I was certain that it was uh, all neurological and that I'd been imagining <clears throat> even the food in my throat so when uh, so then I went to try and take a french fry into my mouth and I found that no matter how much I chewed on it I could, I could move it around my mouth but I could not swallow it uh, this is the funniest moment there are hundreds of muscles um, muscle moments I guess or acrobatic agreements between different uh, parts of your tongue and uh, your mouth uh, in a typical swallow it's kind of fun to look it up if you want to give yourself some anxiety look it up and there are hundreds of muscle moments and there are hundreds of muscle interactions in a typical swallow by the way if you want to give yourself some anxiety look it up and consider the acrobatic routine of consuming food and realize it's a gift of instinct that we're born with it you know think you can swallow right on birth but as I say anything can be outthought and I was convinced um, that's what was happening, is that I was just having another typical dumb moment where I'm just overthinking something to the point of failure uh, or to the point of um, conflict. Don't consider myself a failing person, but I can overthink things and overcomplicate it. And I was very groggy from the night before, and I was still stoned a little bit and probably a little in shock. So I called my mother to wish her a happy Mother's Day on Sunday, from Sunday. Because there had been some sort of, uh, I hadn't been able to get a hold of her the day before. And I confidentially informed her that I'd 
lost the ability to swallow, that I had lost the ability to swallow. Told her I was convinced it was neurological, as these temporary psychosis issues run in my family. When they have been, you know, psychosis or whatever you want to call it, overly imaginative, my parents have been there to tell me that they are. You know, so sometimes my dad, who was a nephrologist for many years, will tell me, don't go to the doctor because you're, what you're saying, they're going to make you have to do a bunch of tests. And I'm telling you that it's in your head. And so my dad knows me and he knows that that's something that, 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 that is something that can happen. And my mom is, in fact, the, I kind of inherit it from my mom. My mom is a Olympic hypochondriac. Um, and in a very charming way, I don't mean that as a diss on my mom. She's just got a lot of wonder and magic in the way that she perceives the world. And part of it goes into just, you know, uh, I have it too. You know, if you, um, neither of us read the side effects of any medicine because we're going to feel them, you know. Uh, but anyway, so I took it to be very sobering that my mom did not think it was neurological. And she just said, matter of fact, it sounds like acid reflux, she said. And this deflated my fantasy that I could actually unlearn how to swallow to, you know, it kind of deflated my fantasy that I could actually unlearn how to swallow food. But mom was right. And over time, I, I would learn that I had developed scarring on my esophagus. And so I had a few months of very funny tests, <clears throat> tests, uh, very funny tests from swallowing barium, which is kind of fun to do if you've never done it, uh, to having an endoscopy. I, the barium swallow was very funny because you get to watch the swallow, you know, go through your throat, it shows up on a uh, video screen and you kind of see how bouncy and, uh, you know, lava lamp like we are on the inside of our body, just watching a swallow go through the system. The trick with barium uh, swallows, however, is that you're going to, it'll, what goes in goes out and it uh, <laughs> comes out like a rock. So uh, no matter how good the barium drink tastes, I would go, uh, you know, that's tough. You're going to need to take a whole day off if you drink a pint of it because you're going to, uh, go to the bathroom and uh, give birth to a baseball bat. <laughs> That's a barium, barium swallow fact. Uh, anyway, after uh, the endoscopy and the barium swallow and other sorts of things um, and doctors, I'd learned that I'd lucked out enough to be able to recover. They did find scarring on the esophagus and a few very sad moments um, before I went to the doctor. That took a couple months. They won't give you uh, the endoscopy right away. I've always enjoyed the fact that they have a hint, but they're like, well, we got to do like six or seven other things before we can do that, just to rule those things out. I'm like, why can't we just do the thing that we're both agreeing uh, might be? Um maybe uh that's american healthcare i don't know maybe they need to get all the money they can and i'm pro doctor i mean the maybe insurance sort of needs to get all the money or something private insurance forces doctors to not be able to do the unjustified but good instinct first thought maybe if we have single payer one day that'll be quicker but for me it took a while to get the uh the endoscopy and i had to do the barium and i had to do a bunch of bunch of stuff um not that the endoscopy cured it it just sort of confirmed that i didn't have worse issues remember day two tuesday three years ago a few very sad moments where i sat with a bowl of rice trying for an hour to swallow a small forkful of like four pieces of rice and I'm not a crier, but desperately crying when I couldn't even swallow a grain. Thankfully, liquids were unencumbered. I could swallow anything liquid, and I could even work with yogurt, so, so far as it didn't have any fruit in it. But a single blueberry would just throw it all off. Um, 
but I could swallow. And so um, I could survive without having to get like some force feeding tube or something. I just had to find 1,500 to 2,000 calories of liquid every day. That was kind of funny. And uh, if I got through it, I got through it because, uh, and if, if anything happened from that, now I'm addicted to a lot of liquid food. Uh, it's, uh, you know, um, I got over it in four months, but in that four months I had a lot of insure. That stuff is great. I had a whole bunch of, um, yogurt, as I said, and then all sorts of other things, you know, V8 is pretty groovy. Um, and I would, uh, blend up a bunch of things. But puree would not work. It took me a while to get up to puree and pudding. Um, very peculiar moment in my life. You know, I probably have some... Uh, but the end result is that I'm a stronger person. I want to point this out, by the way. I'm describing kind of like a weak moment in my life. And also, I hope you hear in my voice how good I feel now about who I am. Um, but this was, uh, this was a... If this wasn't a rock bottom, this was a edge case of uh worry um all the doctors are like don't worry you'll get back to being able to swallow it's called dysphagia by the way um and uh, there's all kinds of things that cause it but mostly it's esophagus related you know your esophagus just gets really annoyed with you throwing poison down it and getting burned every single time it drinks it has a drink you know uh a good way to Imagine what happens to your esophagus is just put some uh, Everclear or some high grain alcohol in your tongue underneath your tongue and hold it there for about 10, 10 seconds. Uh, you'll get like a, uh, I wouldn't recommend doing this actually because you'll get, you'll burn your tongue and your esophagus is very similar to the type of material underneath your tongue, you know, um, and alcohol burns it every fucking time. You know, and so if it's got reflux, it doesn't move as quick too. So, uh, that's sort of medically what happened is that I was just sort of marinating my esophagus for probably 20 years and it would, uh, scar, heal, scar, heal, scar, heal. And then finally I just, one day it was too much. I couldn't swallow. So, uh, four months later I had recovered and I even had another hamburger on month six. And, uh, that was an emotional moment for me. The uh, first few months with food still took about an hour to eat the smallest portion. So I could no longer really eat with people. Or if I ate with people, you know, they were friends that I could find it in. And we just sort of watched me sort of push food around while we would have a meal. And then I'd take it as to go and I'd finish my meal privately. By a year I was healed, but it was so slow that I can even try. I couldn't even really track when it got better exactly. As to, as, uh, as to the root cause, <laughs> obviously it was, uh, too much celebration, too much good. I mean, I won't lie also, you know, I mean, I, I pretty much drank in 25 years what I think I probably could have driven, uh, drank in like 80 would have been really cool if, uh, you know, like right now during the pandemic, I, I still like to buy kombucha, which I know has a little bit of alcohol, but it's nothing. Um, I still like to buy a little kombucha, and I've actually learned, you know, that I can have half a bottle of kombucha every day instead of a bottle. It would have been uh, cool if I'd done half of, you know, a bottle of bourbon a week. Somehow figured out how to do that, dilute it after a while, as opposed to a bottle of bourbon a week. Because if you drink a bottle of bourbon a week as I did for 25 years, or really for 20 years, because I uh, started drinking when I was 18, but, um, or so, or maybe 16 or 17, but like I really wasn't until I could just go in and buy it. That gets, uh, gets crazy. But so anyway, I won't lie that my stomach had been trying to get my attention for a while. And as I've said, I've never had any mild mind. I never had any mind hangovers few headaches but my stomach was constantly pissed at me and um, I'm not a dumb person so it's sad to realize the kind of pseudoscience uh, weird shit that I would 
play on myself tons of days with a sour stomach that I would drink off. Found a good cure for an upset queasy feeling was in the um for, uh, I found a good cure for an upset queasy feeling was a night of drinking. And I even adopted, as I said, pseudoscience perspectives that I was able to kill whatever virus in my gut that had caused my stomach to feel upset. I was able to kill that virus or whatever with alcohol. I uh, realize now, of course, that I was just numbing the part of my uh, my stomach that was trying to talk to me, you know. So I never gave up drinking because it became a problem or because I wanted to. I knew if and when I would retire from from uh, from work, and the access to alcohol daily would likely kill me. Uh, I knew enough that it was a problem to be solved later, though, but not now. Not in my 40s. But then my esophagus decided to speak up for the rest of my body, and I'm thankful my mind... And I'm thankful my mind immediately gave in, too. I am still surprised about that. It was a uh, blessing that something so key to my identity would be, which was me as a drinker, would be easy enough to just delete from my habits. I thought of myself as a drinker, just like I think of myself as a writer. Or think of myself as a creative person. I was a creative person who drank. I'm a drinker, I would say. I love to talk about alcohol. Recovering the ability to eat food and all of that was sort of a subterfuge for giving up the bottle habit. I guess if uh, you want a number, I'd put it at uh, six, uh, 750 milliliter bottles of bourbon a month for about 20 years. And uh, easily a couple, you know, hundreds of cans of beer, probably 600 to 800 cans of beer a year. And I loved every damn moment of it. You know, I mean, uh, it's funny. I mean, stupid stuff. I, I, uh, I got it. And it catches up to, to you in a, in a weird way. Like, I love that Red Dead Redemption game. Red Dead Redemption 2. And I love every Rockstar video game. Grand Theft Auto. I've played every version of Grand Theft Auto when it came out. You know, grown up with that game. And that was my drinking game. I love to just roam that city drunk. Did the same did the same with Red Dead Redemption and Red Dead Redemption 2 came out after I'd stopped drinking and it took me a while to be able to learn that play that game and not feel desperately sad because that game is really designed just to be drunk in real life and roam the world on your horse in that life. Um but, you know, video games can also teach you how to smoke pot regularly because they're pretty damn great high, too. Uh, giving up alcohol is different for everyone. I do not think you should avoid alcohol if you feel a urge to try it, you know. Um, I believe in trying <laughs> things that... I, I believe uh, it's, it's healthy to, um, to tempt yourself. To, to walk into things that you're uncertain about. And alcohol is total poison. You know. Uh, you can learn a lot about yourself getting safely drunk. You can kill yourself by accident. And you can get very sick. But most of the time, just applying a couple good rules about water. And not overdoing it. And not driving. Uh... And you can drink for decades. And I envy you if you can drink until you die. I just don't want you, of course, to die because of drinking. But if you can drink until you're like 200, go and do it. I'll hang out with you. I'm not a bad person, by the way, around people who drink. A lot of people become lame assholes when they uh, give up something. Like uh, like I was always wearing... Uh, like. Um, I don't know, like last week I gave made that joke about Donald Trump's, uh, or two, a couple weeks ago I talked about Donald Trump's uh, Kleenex box shoes. And when he gave up those Kleenex box shoes, he was an ass. He wouldn't hang out with anybody with Kleenex box shoes. I'm not like that. 
I love talking to people when they're drinking. I, I love hanging out with them. And in fact, I learned enough about how to let go of myself when I'm drunk that when I'm around people and they're drinking, I just sort of go along with it. I, um, I become just as uh, unhinged. The only difference being that I'm completely aware of how I'm acting, which is also kind of cool. Uh, for me, with alcohol, it's a mountain that I climbed, and now I'm on the other side of it. If you uh, pay attention to me as an artist, you'll see that the last three years have been pretty productive. I think the work I've been making has been actually more intelligent, challenging for me to do, um, and uh, better. You know, uh, This show, which feels pretty good, is the result of me stopping drinking. But it's also because I need to work now. That's it. I need to work. I can't drink. And I need to work because I can't drink. I guess if you want to talk about the devil, I need to work to keep the devil down. Uh, but my work is more focused, and it's also more playful <clears throat> than it was. Uh, a lot of my work used to be about getting, especially with my sound work, I would just get as drunk as possible and press record, and I thought that was, like, amazing. You know, I'm tapping... Uh, tapping into God. <laughs> Cause, you know, I loved a really sloppy recording and felt like I could only have access to that if I were uh, drunk and high. Still get high. Uh, but, you know, I've also never been this sober. I'm more sober than I have ever been. How's that for two separate sentences? I know... Uh, and, but sobriety is a wonderful thing to have once you finally become fully sober, you know, that you're not just spending a week recovering on like an up and down. You know, a lot of people would be like, well, if I only drink on the weekends, I'm, you know, you're never sober if you only drink on the weekends. You can think that Monday through Friday you're sober, but trust me, you are not sober. You are just still a little fuzzed out from drinking. You know, the uh, sharpness that comes over your mind after it has completely dried out is remarkable. And if you're interested in mental strength, it's pretty damn cool. I know when you're lying to me now. And I don't care about you if you are an asshole. And if you are a close friend of mine... You know that I love you very dearly. Sobri uh, sobriety is nice in this way. I guess I'm saying that my bullshit detector is atomic now. And that's pretty cool. Mark Wayne, uh, Mark Wayne will find out about that in a moment. Mark Wayne Mullen, or whatever. Um, I want to say technically I'm what you call California sober. I still smoke pot, and when it's around, I take acid. Uh, these are both good topics, and I uh, look forward to doing an LSD episode. I originally knew that I had a problem drinking many years ago, and I remember getting some acid to sort of talk to myself about the fact that I was drinking every night, and I'd say 15 years ago, acid was able to make me figure out how to only have a drink one weekend night and one week night and then and that worked for a long time and then it went down to two weekend nights and two week nights and then I don't know the last year it was you know probably four or five nights a week I was drinking but LSD can help uh, break that dependent kind of oddness LSD is great uh, unfortunately my uh my esophagus um, enjoyed its promotion to uh, whistleblower in my body, and I have found that both my stomach and my esophagus are now so sensitive to poisons that I can no longer tolerate mushrooms, which is sad. Uh, this is because there's a lot of mushrooms everywhere, you know. Um, good ones 
And, um, but mushrooms are toxic, you know, just like acid or not like acid, but just like alcohol, you know, uh, or at least the amount of mushrooms I like to take. And, uh, I would just get these terrible hangovers the next day from, um, psilocybin. So that was a bummer. So it's really pot and LSD. That's it. Um, and in fact, learning how to smoke pot, um, for the first time in my life without beer was, uh, was so difficult. It was almost as difficult and sad as learning how to swallow when uh, my throat broke. Um, the impulse from to have a beer when I'm high and to sort of float the high back and forth in my head. That's how I smoke. That's how I got, that's how I smoke pot, man. And I need, but and so uh, learning how to smoke pot for the first time without beer was very difficult. But I had an issue. I still needed to end a week with some way to shut off my mind. And, you know, maybe it was a weakness or a rationale. I don't know. But that was my... Um, I didn't... I'm amazed that I didn't have any physical um, withdrawal symptoms from, from alcohol, but I'm certain that it was just sort of folded over into the, my throat is broken. I think my body is going to think about that right now. But the habit of being able to shut a week off Friday night through Saturday night was something very, very needed because uh, living was painful for me. And... Uh, so for a very long time, it just felt it just felt like something in, something in my mind was getting louder and louder and louder. I got over. I did get over it. Uh, pot works great now. In fact, I found that edibles are pretty cool. They come on like a drink, which is cool. You know, you can have an edible, and then you can do you can just have some uh, some club. You know, some soda or something or a topa chico and it's even better than drinking but the first year uh yeah i mean they kind of come on edibles will slowly get you high in the way that drinking slowly gets you drunk but the first year felt like one long unending 365 day long week and it was very very determined to get through it it was nice to have the internet because they, the anecdotes Google would fill in what any time period I wanted to look up so if you just look up first week without typically it'll say alcohol first day without it'll offer as an answer alcohol second week without alcohol third month without alcohol 17th day without alcohol it just was like i don't know if it was my google profile or what but it just would give me some anecdote on some forum about a person on their 44th day without alcohol and you see some consistencies there where people are saying you know like it's that first year sucks or you'll find somebody saying you know the first six months sucks or they'll say the first week is terrible or but then you also start to see that after a year people start to talk about it in a more positive way and they're right. Or at least I will go on and say that I agree. Um, after a year, it's way easier. But that first year, man, you know. I think it was uh, Lennon that said, the bad Lennon, not John Lennon, said, you know, there's uh, some like, uh, what's the line? It's like there's years that feel like days and then some days feel like years or something. My God, that first year was impossible. Um, I think Lennon was referring to war, but whatever. Had some funny rationalizations where uh, I wasn't going to totally give up getting inebriated, you know. So in my rationalization period, I uh, tried alcohol alternatives like kava. Uh, I liked that stuff, you know. Although you know, there's a condition where people get addicted to kava and their face sort of uh, um, scars up which apparently in Hawaii uh, is uh, regarded with great respect for people who can determine that but it's kava kind of attacks your uh, your, uh, your liver too 
fortunately kava just dehydrated me to the point where i couldn't even use it um and then uh last uh, last go i tried to make a tincture of pot thinking that a very small amount of alcohol would still work um and uh tincture of pot can I enter it enters your body like a drink for a very inebriating high and there is a wonderful concoction you can use the internet to find it called the green dragon and what this does is you use like a microdose of alcohol everclear or rum but really everclear if you can get access to it and you let it sit in uh in a jar with an equal amount of cook or de cooked or decarboxylated weed you know just put weed in the toaster uh, that you can regulate about 220 degrees for a few hours um, it'll stink your house up uh, so clear it with everyone that you're living with and um, if you're in a building it's gonna everyone in the building is gonna know that you're cooking pot so it's probably not the best uh, thing to do to be discreet but you take that amount then and then you put in a mason jar with Everclear and you sh shake it up for about a month and it should change color from green to purple when it goes purple or dark brown you have green dragon and uh, use a coffee filter and you have this to separate the pot from the uh, changed alcohol and you have this wonderful old prescription strength pot that you can put a couple drops on with a eyedropper put it under your tongue and you will go through a whole day with that stuff soaring back and forth from high to higher to fine i mean it's like it's very strange it's a wonderful thing and in fact i think it's the oldest way that they used to prescribe marijuana but this was also when uh they were prescribing cocaine and heroin um <laughs> bayer probably by, by the way bayer aspirin started out as a bayer heroin uh, you can look it up um, but anyway, so, uh, I was really sad to find that the tincture wouldn't work. I thought that would work, you know, maybe like a milliliter of alcohol was enough, but no go. I found that the miniature amount of grain alcohol in that single eyedropper gave my, gave my, me a, gave me a body hangover that had me, uh, if you don't mind me saying so, nearly barfing the next day and I never really threw up on alcohol, but it had me nauseous. And this was from two drops from the dropper to know that I was that now this allergic to something that literally covered my entire bloodstream for decades was unnerving. Uh, but that's what happens when you get over your mountain. I climbed the mountain and I'm on the other side of it. So I look back at that mountain and I know that there's no more alcohol ever in my life. I can handle so much more stress now. There is a, a lot of brain development I put on hold with that first dependent drink when I was 17. I remember realizing that it made it very, very better. You know, And it wasn't until I was in my 40s, when I'm 45 right now, that I got a chance to learn who I was. If you are introspective enough, well, actually, I should say, Lauren, it was a chance to learn who I am in a very clear way. It's interesting. You know, there's certain things that, you know, would be insecure. And insecurities and alcohol don't really get figured out. If you use alcohol to deal with an insecurity, you're going to become more insecure. And then you're going to be sad about it and you're not going to realize it's alcohol. But... If you no longer have the alcohol and you have to suddenly figure this shit out, I don't know. It works. I uh, so if you're in, so if you are introspective enough, or if you have a creative desire to improve your brain to make better work, I recommend it to anyone who wants to try it. Going dry, I mean. Going sober is sort of like running and finishing a mental marathon. As I've alluded to, the first six months were particularly incredible, and they were so difficult. I didn't do AA because I don't like groups, and I didn't want to trade one dependency for the other. But if it works for you, I'll power to you. I just didn't want to be like, oh, I can't go to that town, where are the meetings? 
didn't want to be like, oh, I got to go to a meeting in the same way that I say I got to have a beer. Also, don't really trust groups. I wanted to dig myself out of my own challenge. I wanted to own the the entire challenge. I didn't want to sponsor or something where it's like, you know, thanks to Bob, I'm good. No, I wanted to fucking take care of it myself. And in that way, I guess this is what it feels like to do one of those Tough mutter challenges. I don't know if they still do those things. Yeah, but it was this thing about 10 years ago where you go under, it was like a uh, obstacle course um, with electricity and uh, other sorts of tortures. People would, you know, get through it. <clears throat> My uh, recovery finally involved getting on medicine. I have, as I've said throughout this, uh, very active anxiety, which is painful, but I feel it a lot less now, <laughs> the pain, or or rather I can deal with it. Um, I have some weird uh, neuroticisms. I can feel thoughts, which I've always felt or thought was very normal, um, and it is clearly imagined, or maybe it isn't. It feels pretty real to me. My mind can feel a flow of electricity through it constantly. As since I was a kid, alcohol was the only thing to calm or sedate it. And the infrastructure to replace a simple drink, by the way, I should just say is astonishing. <laughs> so I no longer have a drink, but to, to match no longer having a drink. I, it is exercise, diet, meditation, Lexapro, thank you, uh, occasional panic attack, benzos, like uh, clonopin, just to stop the panic from happening, water, tons of water, more meditation, and walking hours and hours and hours before I got on the Lexapro, which has been very, very helpful. Uh, I love this stuff, but before I got into it, I love this stuff, but before I got into it, I would just walk every night. For hours and I just would feel kind of like a click go off in my head after walking long enough that said that I dealt with the anxiety for that day and then I could go home very bizarre yeah so uh, like I say Tons and tons of water, more meditation, walking hours and hours. And I couldn't really do coffee, too, for the first few months because I didn't want to upset my body while I was recovering. So I got into green tea at the time. Uh, I mentioned Klonopin, and I mentioned Lexapro, and I do like kombucha. So I do have trace amounts of inebriating components in my life. I'm sure people who take Klonopin would say that's totally cheating, and I don't fucking give a shit. That is not drinking. I, uh don't do and you know and also the more clonopin you take the less you care and i like caring so my use of clonopin is very casual it's as prescribed and thank god for it and uh i love kombucha you know i know uh 17 kombuchas or something can equal a beer but uh i've never gone <laughs> i've never gotten drunk on kombucha I guess whenever anybody sort of like flexes about that, it's like that has alcohol in it. They did not drink to the to the point of you know brain melting like I did. That's what it was. I mean, um, the levitation or the near hallucination of getting really properly drunk cannot be found through my current arsenal of tools. Uh, my drink of choice was something I like to call a bed and breakfast or a B and B. It was a cup of bourbon with a little Topo Chico in it, but not a lot, just enough to sort of, you know, raise it and make it bubbly. So mostly bourbon. I also like Canada dry club soda with a bourbon, but really Topo Chico is pretty good. And I would have a beer in my other hand. So beer and bourbon, bed and breakfast, B and B. I'd walk over to friends and I would just shoot the bourbon and soda and the beer back and forth in my separate hands. And 15 minutes into this, my mind was permanently locked into a party where I loved everything they said and I just maintained this drip of drinking until around 4 a.m. I was a very good drinking companion. 
It's tough. It was my first month sober, however. It was my first it was my first month sober, however, that I know some something incredibly simple. Child simple, but it uh made me want to cry realizing it. During my first night out when I was having fun, I felt an urge to recharge my mood. It was then that I realized that sober does not wear off, and it became a kind of a mantra for me. If I was having a good mood, if I was enthusiastic about something, I didn't need to recharge that. If I was feeling drowsy, I could just take a nap and wake back up. But if you're drinking and you feel drowsy, you're out for the night. You gotta you gotta constantly recharge it because if you get a little sober and then you have to drink again, it's not gonna work out. So realizing that sober doesn't wear off was a wonderful encouragement to uh to cultivate an understanding of that. But I cultivate an understanding of that. But man do I miss bourbon? And I went through grief over these past three years. I think I'm finally through it, but at its most uh, pronounced, it was like mourning a friend, a best friend. And having all the loss associated with a good friend being gone. My friend died, and so did I in that way. It was like an ego death in a way. But I will say that the improvements on my mind over the last three years have been so productive and good that I'm kind of sad to realize that drinking would never work again. I have dreams where I have a drink and literally sit through the dream saying, great, I need to wait now for this to wear off. I uh, think of my brain as a kind of tunnel that was constantly cleaned out by alcohol. Any nerve growth, positive or negative, that started to grow inside that tunnel was constantly cleaved off by the burning run of alcohol. In now three years, there's an entire network of growth in those tunnels. In those tunnels. Alcohol would be painful to kill off some of those roots. It would hurt to not be able to feel what I feel in my head now when I feel something, or think something, or motivate myself to do something um if i had a drink it would really bother me that i wasn't feeling those things you know and so it likely would get tangled up in those uh in in that network of roots that are now in that tunnel those connections and it wouldn't even hit the right spots anymore so i guess uh in a way alcohol was that wonderful fuck i had for 25 years i will give her that but my body voted to cut me off. And I thank it for being as kind as it did with the message, too. Three years sober, and now I'd like to make fun of Oklahoma idiot, Representative Mullen. Thank you and God bless. And by that I mean a uh, secular Jewish God bless. But yeah, I definitely um, believe in... uh, some amazing things in the world. It, it certainly feels like a blessing that it occurred. So thank you to whatever caused my throat to break. And now that I got like 40 or 50 or maybe even 70 years left of life, to not be on that weekly uh, treadmill of drinking and recovering, that's pretty beautiful. I love everybody. Except for you assholes, and I see you. <laughs> more clear than you think. Take care. I love everybody. And thank you for listening to this. This is a long run. Um, Just thought I would... uh, Let's listen to the rain a little bit. That's beautiful. Beautiful night. So yeah, I'm at three years and uh, I don't know. Let's see how far I go. Take care. Thank you. Wow, that felt incredible to get that off. I don't get off my head. I don't even know how long that was. I guess this is something cool about just putting up sound files. You can, uh, if this was too long to get through, I hope you press next to the next track. Uh, might be, uh, I, 
have no idea how many minutes I just recorded, but I feel great. It's 3.44 in the, in the morning. I think I started at uh, 8 o'clock <laughs> in the afternoon. I'm joking, but I feel relieved to get that out. Very happy to have recorded that. And I gotta say, uh, shout out to the Sony, the Sony uh, six channel uh, MX six fifty stereo mixer. You've been a great, great mixer tonight. This thing sounds clean as shit for a fifty year old mixer. Um, I am super thrilled with it. Wanted a night where I could rely on it. And uh, I guess what I've heard is the capacitors and batteries. Um, there are capacitors and batteries or something. I could have that wrong, but I think that's why this is sounding so clean, is that it doesn't have to ever be recapped. Perhaps that's total bullshit. But um, I don't know. I mean, this is a completely clean-sounding, never-serviced-by-me uh, Sony mixer, and I don't think it was ever serviced. So this is incredible how good it sounds. It's uh, got some character, it, some, some distortion occasionally. Uh, it's probably not broadcast clean like it was in the 70s, but my golly, it's been there for me tonight. My very good friend. Thank you very much, Sony Mixer. And uh, let's listen to this power cable. It had a great sound when you press the power switch. 